Keep your Bible open there at Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 to 20. Our theme this evening is looking at Jesus in a lockdown. Looking at Jesus in a lockdown. Well, maybe some of you have had the experience of seeing someone famous in a very unexpected place. Uh, Last summer, Hannah and I went for a walk one afternoon at the coast and I was pretty sure that we walked right past uh, a well-known, prominent Northern Ireland politician. And I said so to Hannah, I said that I thought that was the person we just walked past. A few weeks later, this man's name was in the local headlines for having breached lockdown rules by travelling to the North Coast for the weekend. And so my suspicions were confirmed. Have you had that experience of seeing someone you didn't expect to see in that particular place? Maybe it was someone you knew or maybe it was a famous person. And it was sort of one of those moments that you would have said to them, this is the last place that I would have expected to see you. Well, in some ways, that's how the famous book of Revelation begins. The Apostle John gets a pleasant surprise. He has one of those moments of perhaps saying or thinking to himself, this is the last place I would have expected to see you. That's because Revelation begins with John seeing Jesus. As I've said this evening, Revelation reveals to us That's the point of the book. It's a revealing book. It reveals what is really going on in the world and in the church. Revelation, first and foremost, reveals Jesus to us. And that's, again, I'm sure I've mentioned this in previous weeks, but that's why we're studying the book of Revelation, friends. We face many challenges as a church and as individuals, indeed as a nation at this time. Challenges, as we'll see, that were very, very similar to what the church faced 2,000 years ago when they first got this book. But the best thing that we can do in such times is to lift our gaze off ourselves and our problems and to fix our eyes upon the reigning, risen Jesus. Who is he? Where is he right now? How do we know that he's in control? What's his plan for his church? In this great vision of Jesus, his appearance to John, some of those questions are answered for us. So I want to think, first of all, this evening about where John was when Jesus spoke. Where John was when Jesus spoke. In verse 9, John tells us that he was on the island of Patmos when Jesus appeared to him. And most likely, friends, John was on the island of Patmos Because he was in a lockdown. John was a prisoner. He was exiled on Patmos by the Roman government. He says at the end of verse 9 that he was on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. The testimony of Jesus Christ simply means the gospel, the truth about Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection. And it was for preaching that gospel that John was on Patmos. Patmos is a small island that you can still visit if you want to today. Uh, Well, maybe not quite at the minute, but you know what I mean. You could go there uh, in theory. It's about 30 miles off the coast of modern-day Turkey. It's only about 24 square miles in size. It's very rugged, it's very barren. It's really just a, a bare rock almost in the Mediterranean. 
John would have been almost entirely alone on the island of Patmos. Maybe just a few pagans for company. He's an old man. This is towards the end of his life after decades of faithful service to Jesus. As one of Jesus' original 12 disciples. And then as an apostle and a local church pastor. Look at verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance was on the island of Patmos. Friends, John's saying that his Christian witness has been difficult. It's been demanding. It's required patient endurance. That's actually one word in the original Greek and it has a sense of active resistance. Um, Derek Thomas says it means that what we might call stickability. Stickability. Picture a rugby scrum. Maybe some of you have been in your fair share of rugby scrums. Uh, a rugby scrum requires patience and fight. You have to hold your ground, but you also have to try and push forward. You bind together, you hold your ground, you push forward. And that's what old Pastor John had been doing. He was the last living apostle. The others have been either murdered or they've died in other ways. He's the last one. And he is digging in and he has kept preaching and he has kept witnessing. And for all of that, friends, he's in a lockdown. He's a prisoner. And yet none of it took him by surprise. Notice he says in verse 9, The tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance... That are in Jesus. That are in Jesus. What he's saying is. If you're going to follow Jesus. You have to be prepared for this. Yes there's a kingdom. Near and coming. That's our ultimate hope and joy. But in the meantime. We must be ready for tribulation. We must be willing to have some stickability. And even when John found himself. Locked down as a prisoner in Patmos. He didn't sit on a huff. He didn't quit on his faith. How do we know that? Look at verse 10. I was in the spirit, he says, on the Lord's day. The Lord's day. As I've mentioned, John was most likely entirely alone on Patmos. It's very unlikely that anybody else would have been worshipping, stopping everything on the first day of the week to worship God in the name of Jesus. But John was. John was still setting aside time to worship God, to praise him, to pray to him, to meditate on his word on the Lord's day. This is the only time in the New Testament that we see the first day of the week referred to as the Lord's day. What does that name mean? It means, quite simply, the day of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It means, friends, that Easter Sunday is not our only resurrection celebration. Every Sunday is our resurrection celebration. This is what happened after Jesus rose. Christians began to worship together on the first day of the week. And although John's circumstances may have changed, his faith and his conviction hadn't. He might have been separated from God's people physically, but he was still worshipping as one of God's people in spirit on the Lord's day, even if he was all by himself 
on Patmos. And there's a clear and obvious principle here for us, isn't there? That whether we may be away from home on a trip, whether we are confined to our homes because of illness or shielding or in a socially distanced building, Christians should always make every effort to worship God on the Lord's day. Christians should always make every effort to worship God on the Lord's day, together, publicly, if possible, but as John shows us here, in any way that we possibly can, if necessary. A time of disruption, a time of difficulty, a time of isolation is no reason to stop worshipping God. Friends, it is all the more reason to worship God. And notice, by the way, that it was as John was worshipping that Jesus spoke. It was as John was worshipping that Jesus spoke. Verse 10 says that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And that was when he heard a voice like a loud trumpet. Friends, a sudden change in your life's circumstances, an enforced separation from your normal routine is no reason to abandon faith and worship of Jesus. It's all the more reason to, in faith, worship in the name of Jesus. And in such times, it might be in those very times that we hear Jesus speak to us by his word more clearly and powerfully than we ever have before. That was John's experience, locked down on Patmos. And we might not get the same sort of vision of Jesus that John got, but we have his word. We have the ministry of his spirit through that word. I wonder, are we making use of our lockdown the way John made use of his? Are we still making that time on the Lord's day to worship, whatever our circumstances may be? Some of you, this last lockdown in particular has been frantic. It's been busy, particularly for parents and children trying to keep on top of homeschooling. But maybe some of us, there are aspects of lockdown where we've had more time, maybe more free evenings, less running out to things. Have we made use of our lockdown? Have we made, have we made use of that time for worship and prayer? Maybe this lockdown, which has been going on for so long now, Maybe it's left you deeply anxious. Maybe some of you have grieved the loss of loved ones and it's been made all the more painful by the restrictions upon us at this time. Maybe lockdown has left you anxious about future plans that are now up in the air or totally ruined. As Christians, we're not immune from those things. But friends, it might just be in the times of pain, trial, persecution, lockdown, that we hear Jesus speak to us more clearly and powerfully than ever before. It might be in the times of lockdown that we, it's almost like we would say, this is the last place I expected to be blessed by the presence and power of Jesus, yet here he is. He has come as I suffer. He has come when I wasn't sure I could cope any longer. He has come as I sought him in worship. Friends, Jesus is willing to speak to us at all times. Even in times of lockdown, if we seek him. So where John was when Jesus spoke. But secondly, let's think about what John saw 
when Jesus spoke. What John saw when Jesus spoke. He says in verse 10 that he heard a loud voice like a trumpet behind him. And in the Bible, the trumpet, the blast of a trumpet often symbolizes an important uh, moment that God is going to speak or act in a monumental way. Uh, Exodus 19 verse 16, for example, tells us that when Moses went up to receive the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, there was a trumpet blast. And so Jesus is going to speak to John. He's got important things to say to John. But not only does John hear Jesus speak, he gets a vision of what Jesus looks like. Look at the end of verse 12. On turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. Excuse me. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. Verse 16 says, From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. I'll explain a little bit more about what all of these things mean in a moment. But I want you to notice just for now the impact that this vision of Jesus had upon John. Look at verse 17. John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. I fell at his feet as though dead. Friends, the Jesus that John saw was no Jesus meek and mild. This was not the sort of, the, the sort of metrosexual depiction of Jesus that you get in movies and Christian artwork. You know, sort of long, soft hair, cuddling lambs, looking shy and harmless. This isn't the helpless little baby in the manger. This isn't a quirky religious philosopher. This is Jesus in all his resurrected glory. This is the risen Jesus. This is the reigning Jesus. This is the Son of Man. Holy. Awesome. Powerful. And John's reaction to Jesus falling at his feet as though dead. That's exactly how you or I would have reacted. We would fall to our feet if we saw this Jesus. We would be fearing for our lives. Because in that moment we would realize the holy purity of God. And the unholy impurity of our sin. In Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah the prophet sees a very similar vision of Jesus. To what John describes here. John's gospel I think it's chapter 12. Tells us that Isaiah's vision was of Jesus. And Isaiah 6 verse 5 says. After Isaiah got his vision. Woe is me. For I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See the, the, the similar reaction there of Isaiah and John. They see Jesus and they're fearful. They think they're going to die. They're overcome with a sense of their own unworthiness. John hears the blast of a trumpet. He sees a golden sash. He sees flaming eyes. He sees a mighty sword. 
He sees the feet of a king and the gaze of a judge. And he fears for his life. I wonder do you need to take Jesus far more seriously? I wonder do you need to realise that this Jesus reigns over your life and this world as king? Some people immediately start into objections. Well if Jesus is a king why is the world such a mess? If he's a king, why isn't my life a bit easier? If he's a king, why doesn't he make coronavirus go away? If you saw him, you wouldn't have the breath in you to ask those questions. King Jesus would overwhelm you. King Jesus would leave you horrified as you realize the selfishness, the lies, the greed, the lust, the impatience, the anger, the wicked words that mark your life. His flaming eyes would see right through you and all your excuses and you too would fall at your feet as though dead. But the amazing thing is that we see here not only that Jesus is holy but that he's gracious. Verse 17. When I saw him I fell at his feet as though dead but he laid his right hand on me saying fear not fear not the most frequently the most frequently repeated command in the bible is fear not jesus is a holy awesome god but he's also the god of grace he has graciously gone to the cross and taken our sin upon himself he graciously came down from heaven's glory to become outcast and despised and rejected To die in our place for our sin. It may be that you're hearing this today and you're not a Christian. And and your view of your own sin is too small. You've never really thought about all that is wicked within you. And what's to be done about it. Or maybe your view of Jesus' power and strength is too small. You've never really thought about Jesus in the way described for us here in Revelation chapter 1. Or maybe your view of Jesus' grace is too small. You've never considered that the Holy One who could destroy you is also the one who says, fear not. Who is gracious, who is patient, who is willing to forgive sin. And maybe if you're a Christian this evening, this is just... Simply what you need to hear as a new week begins. You need to hear Jesus saying to you, fear not. Notice how he puts his hand on on John's shoulder. Just the way he would stretch out his hands. The same hand that touched lepers and children and women. A touch of love and care. A gesture of love and support. That's what Jesus offers to you this evening. He says to you, dear friend, fear not. Whatever your personal situation Jesus sees it and Jesus understands it and Jesus will help you through it. He's holy and he's gracious. We thought about where John was when Jesus spoke. We thought about what John saw when Jesus spoke. Thirdly and finally this evening, what John learned when Jesus spoke. What John learned when Jesus spoke. And in some ways we could say that there were three things that John was reminded of. When Jesus spoke. Three things that John learned about Jesus. First of all Jesus is victorious. 
Jesus is victorious. Look at verse 17. He laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. First and last means Jesus is eternal. He's God. He says also in verse uh, 18, he says, I have the keys of death and Hades. If you have the keys to something, your house, for example, you control it. It's in your possession and under your authority. And Jesus is saying here to his church scattered across the increasingly hostile Roman world, I am in charge. I have authority over death. I've beaten it. You don't have to, you don't have anything to fear from it. You will be raised to new life if your trust is in me. Friends, we do not need to fear a virus or cancer or mental degeneration or anything else. We don't go looking for these things. We don't want these things. But we know that whether we die as martyrs or in a hospital bed or in our own bed, we do not need to fear death. Because Jesus Christ is victorious over death. And by faith in him, we will live on forever beyond death. Jesus is victorious. Second thing that John learned when Jesus spoke is that Jesus loves his church. Jesus loves his church. Notice who Jesus tells John to write to in verse 11. He says, write what you see in a book. And send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, and so on. We know from church history that John pastored these churches. In particular, he pastored Ephesus. He would have found it, no doubt, so painful to be separated from these churches that he loved so much on the Lord's Day. And we can certainly relate to that as I speak to you this evening. There's only three of us here in the building. And we feel the pain of our separation. But look at verse 13. As much as John loved the church, friends, Jesus loved the church even more. Look at verse 13. John says, he saw in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. And Jesus tells us there in verse 20 that these seven golden lampstands, they are are symbolic of the seven churches. Seven lampstands for seven churches. Jesus is in the midst of them. Jesus loves them. In the Old Testament, God appointed priests to work at his temple. Exodus 28 verse 4 says that the priests wore a long robe and a sash. And there was one huge golden lampstand in the temple with seven candles on it. And one of the priests' jobs was to refill the oil and trim the wicks And keep the light of the lampstand shining at all times. When John sees this vision of Jesus, where is he standing? In the midst of the seven lampstands. What's Jesus wearing? A long robe and a golden sash. Friends, Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is tending to, looking after the lampstands, the churches. With love and care. Jesus said in Matthew 5.15. That the church is the light of the world. Like a city on a hill reflecting his light. But it's Jesus. Like a faithful priest. Who keeps the light burning. Jesus loves his church. He will never forsake 
his church. And then the last thing we learn about Jesus in this vision is that Jesus is in control. Jesus is in control. Look again at verse 14. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. Again, this is symbolism. It's telling us about Jesus' purity, his goodness. It says as well, his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze. And John says also his voice was like the roar of many waters. Again, friends, this is the picture of someone in charge, in control, a kingly judge. The feet of bronze mean that Jesus is immovable. He is firmly fixed. You will not shake him from his position. Verse 16. From his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. The word of God. Powerful. Perfect. Piercing. The word of God that will one day bring judgment. This is a picture quite simply friends of someone in control. And again, perhaps more than anything else, that's what we need to see today. As we look at Jesus in our lockdown and as we study the book of Revelation in the weeks to come. He is in control. There is absolutely nothing happening in our world today that is taking Jesus by surprise. He sees everything that's going on with those piercing, fiery eyes. This would have been incredibly good news to John and the churches who first read these words. As the world around them suddenly began to change. And just as we close. We need to understand the world that John and these seven churches lived in. So that we can fully appreciate how timely these words are for us. At this time when Jesus appeared to John. Virtually no one in the Roman world prayed to just one God. They prayed to their ancestors. They prayed to Roman gods or Greek gods. Artemis whoever else, to hedge their bets, many people prayed to all kinds of gods. No one else in the whole Roman world met for worship on the first day of the week to worship Jesus. And if they did meet for worship uh, on whatever day it was, there was almost always a sacrifice of some kind involved, an animal, some kind of pagan sexual ritual that was passed off as worship. Sometimes, in some places, even child sacrifice. No one else in the Roman world valued women and children like the church did. Men got married only to produce a legitimate heir to their estate. And they slept around with however many women or men or young boys that they wanted. Unwanted children were put to death as soon as possible, often when they were still in the womb. Most people in the Roman world lived for luxuries and possessions. The theatre, sport, fine clothing, comfortable living. These were all really what people were living for in the Roman Empire if they could afford them. Every so often in the Roman world plagues, diseases or famines would hit. Leading to sort of a temporary time of people questioning their existence widespread fear and worry before everyone sort of forgot about it and went back to normal. And the church was impacted by all of this. We'll see this as we get into chapters 2 and 3. 
Some churches have compromised in some of these areas, particularly on the sexual issue or the worship issue. Some churches were wavering. Some churches had ceased to exist. Now friends, does any of that sound at all familiar? Does any of that sound as though Revelation might be relevant for the time and place in which we live? Other churches and church leaders were faithful. They suffered through persecution, attacks on their beliefs, imprisonment like John and Patmos. And Jesus wanted those churches to know, I am victorious, I am in control, I love my church, listen to me and fear not. And that is Jesus' message to you and I this evening, dear friends. I am victorious, I am in control. I love my church. Listen to me and fear not. Amen.